0: Good morning and welcome to Echoes of Calvary. This is your host, Greg Sweeting. Thank you for opening your home to us this morning. I invite you to now open your hearts and worship with us as we share from the Word of God. Stay with us as we share comments and illustrations with a spiritual application. Present special music to call us to worship. And in a few minutes... Pastor Alan Lee will come to share insights from Scripture and explain how to apply God's Word that we might grow to be complete in Christ. Have you ever heard of a parcel copter? That's right, a parcel copter. Well, this is a whole new delivery system. Using a military vehicle for peaceful purposes. Can you believe it? Usually it's the other way around, isn't it? More often than not, people tend to take useful civilian inventions and convert them to some kind of military use. But I read yesterday that the parcel Carrier Company, DHL, has come up with a whole new idea about delivering medicines to an island off the coast of Germany. I suppose that access to this island must be difficult and even sporadic. Medicines are a category of the urgent and are considered as must-have products. Lives will often depend on getting one's medicine on time. If one lives on an island where it's difficult to deliver parcels of medicine it is innovative and creative to develop a more efficient and prompt and dependable system to get these prescriptions to the intended owners. Those in need will certainly depend on any means to ensure that they can get their medicines on a timely basis. DHL has apparently achieved this. Their system uses drones to deliver the medicine to the island. The same kind of drones apparently that are being used to track terrorists in the Mideast and for bombing specific targets remotely. No boots on the ground needed a specially trained military technician located hundreds of miles away can direct the drone and release its deadly payout with incredible preciseness, and there are never any risks to any of the people so involved. Just the target, of course, who would have been expecting the explosion that appeared so unexpectedly and with such devastating effect. Thinking about drones and their use, I was reminded of the images that I have involving the rise of Antichrist and the future coming battle we call Armageddon. The descriptions given in the Revelation regarding the events that will unfold leading up to and during the battle of Armageddon are amazingly similar to the images we conjure up in our mind's eye featuring what we now know to be the weapons of war in our modern society. I guess what I am trying to encourage you to see in this example is the incredible similarity that becomes apparent when we think of the descriptions that we read in the book of Revelation and the images we often see of our current machines of war. Looking at it another way, if what we see on our world today of the incredible, ferocious, and effective killing machines of war, frequently seen in the numerous television reports of the many wars around our world today, can be written in first-century words and descriptions, I believe it would be amazing how close the descriptions become. Why, you ask? I think because the war machines described in Revelation are basically the same ones that we will see today. This is because we live, I believe, in the last days of man and the period that was actually envisioned by John when he wrote his visions. Those visions of the 21st century, our world today. At any moment, the Lord may appear, setting the irreversible culmination of our world as we know it, the world we know today. And that awesome battle to end all battles we call Armageddon will have begun.
1: Let's continue to worship him, thinking about the night that he was born. Starlight shines my eyes, and see the night when love was born. A perfect child gently waits, a mother bends to kiss God's face, I close my eyes. love was born Bethlehem, through your small door, came the hope we've waited for. The world was changed forevermore when love was born. The world was. When love was born.
0: And now with this message for today, here is Senior Pastor Emeritus. Alan Lee.
2: Greetings in the name of Emmanuel, who we saw in our last message was an amazing child because he was the mighty God. The text says the child born in the manger was the son of the Most High. This designation underlined the fact that Jesus is God. He has the same nature and essence as El Elyon, the Most High God. To say that Jesus is the son of the highest then is to say that he bears the character, the nature, and the essence of the one true God, the highest of the high. He is of the same essence, I say, as El Elyon, God most high. Now the term son does not imply that God is a great God who begot a sub or a lesser God, but rather it is to say that Jesus bears the same life, the same essence, and the same nature as the Most High God. As Hebrews chapter 1 says, He is the express or the exact manifestation or expression of God. In Him dwells the fullness of the Godhead in bodily form. Hebrews chapter 1 verses 1 through 3 also say that God speaks to us through His Son, who is the exact expression of Himself. He, I say, is the Son of God. He bears his Father's life and his Father's nature. This is what the inspired author meant when he says that Jesus is the Son of the Most High, and it is the birth of this amazing child that Christmas is supposed to celebrate. No writer more clearly shows us the meaning of the Sonship of Jesus Christ than the Apostle John. Let's look at how he describes this unique relationship in John chapter 5, beginning at verse 16, following his healing of the lame man on the Sabbath. The Jews began to attack him because of that. And verse 16 says, and I quote now, the word of God. For this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I myself am working. End of quote. Now, this begins to explain for us the significance of the term, the Son of God. Notice carefully what the text says. And my friends, remember now, my purpose, my objective, is for you to understand what the Word says, not what I say about the Word. So notice the text, quote, My father is working until now, and I myself am working. For this cause, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling God his own father. Notice the text now very carefully. Making himself equal with God. End of quote. To the Jewish mind, to say God is my father, as Jesus did, is to say that I'm of the same essence as God. And that's exactly what Jesus intended to say. And that's exactly why the angel told Mary that Jesus was the Son of the Most High God. Now, what is so devastating to these Jewish people is that when Jesus says, My Father and I are at work, he is claiming to be equal in nature with God by what he does. This is why he says in Mark 2.27, and I quote, Sabbath was made for man. The Sabbath was made for man, Jesus is saying, not for God, meaning that it was not made for him because he is God. God didn't stop all work, my friends, on the seventh day. He simply ceased from his creative work because it was completed. However, He continues to work at holding his creation together by the word of his power and his active involvement in his sustenance. So what Jesus is saying here is God pays no attention to the Sabbath because the Sabbath was made for man and I don't pay any attention to it either because I am also God. I'm on another level than you are, he's saying to these Jews. God works and I work. The Sabbath does not apply to me because it does not apply to God. I am the son of the most high God who is above the Sabbath. Jesus thereby is affirming his deity and saying he's equal in nature to God. But not only does he claim to be equal in nature with God, he also claimed to be equal in the works of God as well. Look at verse 19 of this text, quote, Jesus therefore answered and was saying to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of himself unless it is something he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, these things the Son also does in like manner. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself is doing. And greater works than these really show him that you may marvel, end of quote. So Jesus claims now to be equal in works with God. He says, whatever I do is exactly what God does. Therefore, if you're going to indict me for breaking your Sabbath, then you must indict God also. And so your argument is with God because we're equal in works. But thirdly, Jesus says that he and his father are not only equal in nature and equal in work, but also equal in power. Look at verse 21, quote, For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son also gives life to whom he wishes. End of quote. Jesus is saying, I have the same power to raise the dead physically and spiritually that God the Father does. We are therefore equal in power. And then he goes on in verse 26 and he says, and I quote again, As the Father has life in himself, so has he given to the Son to have life in himself. End of quote. This is an amazing statement. As the Son of the Highest, Jesus bears the nature of the Highest. He does the work of the Highest, and he is equal in power with El Elyon. This is the child that was born on the day we celebrate as Christmas, my friends. I want you to understand that. But fourthly, Jesus says he has equal authority as God as well. At the end of verse 21, he says, and I quote, The Son gives life to whom he will. End of quote. In other words, he has equal authority as his Father. He can make determinations. He can do as He pleases because He is the Son of the Almighty God. But fifth, in verse 22, Jesus says He is equal in judgment. Notice the text, quote, The Father judges no man, but has committed all judgment to the Son. Now, verse 27 has the same idea. He has given him authority to execute judgment also, because he is the Son of Man, listen to verse thirty. Also, when I quote, "I can of mine own self do nothing; as I hear, I judge." End of quote. So the inspired text says God is judging, and God commits judgment to Jesus Christ. So really, the text is saying God the Father and Christ judge together; they have equal authority. They are equal in judgment of mankind. Finally, in verse 23, he says, and I quote again, All men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who has sent him. End of quote. Jesus is saying that he is deserving of equal honor as the Father, the Most High God, El Elyon. He's saying you cannot honor God without honoring Him. And you cannot not honor Him, that's Jesus, without also not honoring the Father. That's what it means to be the Son of the Most High God. That, my friend, is who we are to celebrate and honor at Christmas. Notice the terminology all through this passage, Father and Son, Father and Son. Father and Son. And what the Father-Son relationship of God and Christ intend to communicate is equality in nature, equality in work, equality in power, equality in authority, equality in judgment, and equality in honor. All of this, my friends, is to say that this little baby that we will celebrate, the one who was born in a manger, is God. And so when the angel says to Mary that he will be called the Son of the Highest. He is saying that this is the Son of God who is equal in every way with his Father. And when Jesus claimed that God was his Father, the Jews knew that's exactly what he was saying. However, it seems that many of us are not as wise as the unbelieving Jews. They tried to kill him because they knew that he claimed to be God. At least they were living out there unbelief the sad thing however is that many people today claim to believe that jesus is god but they do not act to that belief at christmas time they celebrate christmas themselves and their tradition rather than the birth of the son of the most high god this amazing child of christmas my friends is god i repeat the amazing child of christmas is god just imagine what must have been going through Mary's mind then when she finally got the message proclaimed by the angel. What an incredible, amazing, astonishing, astounding, and almost unbelievable thought to have ringing in her mind and heart. My child, my little baby that I will bear in my womb and hold in my arms is the Son of the Most High God. God manifests in the flesh. No wonder the songwriter asks, Mary, did you know? Mary, did you know that the first Christmas gift was the son of the Most High God himself? Mary, did you know? I ask you, do you know that? Matthew also records the birth of Christ and emphasizes this amazing phenomenon. How is it that God could be born in a human womb? Matthew 1.18 says, She was found with child by the Holy Spirit. Verse twenty says that which is conceived in her is by the Holy Spirit. Verse twenty three says, The Virgin shall be with child, she shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being translated is God with us. The child is God, and the child was conceived without a human father. God planted a seed in Mary to bring into being the God man, the Son of the Most High God. This is Is who we are to celebrate this Christmas, my friends. So I say again, the first amazing message that came to the parents of Jesus Christ was that this child would be God, in fact, is God. And as I mentioned last time in my message, many of the older writers of our Christmas carols have understood this through the centuries. Sadly, every year many come around to this season and sing these songs without grasping the meaning of what they're singing. So let me remind you of the emphasis of some of these traditional Christmas carols. You just may sing them a little differently this year. Listen to these familiar lines. Christ, by highest heaven adored, Christ, the everlasting Lord, veiled in flesh, the Godhead see, hail the incarnate deity, Jesus our Emmanuel. My friends, that is one sentence that states everything that we've been saying in this message so far. The babe in the barn was and is God Almighty. We also sing, oh, come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel. Actually, this is a redundant statement. Emmanuel actually means God with us. So, in fact, he answered our prayer before we even asked him. But the hymn writer is nonetheless correct when he says, Oh, come to us, abide with us, our Lord Emmanuel, Jesus, Lord, at thy birth. That, my friend, is when he came to abide with us, or as John says, to tabernacle among us. God came to be with us and in us at the first Christmas. That is what we are to celebrate, and that is what we are to make a reality by receiving him as the first Christmas gift. Another carol says, The virgin sweet boy is the Lord of the earth. And another one says, Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. And how that in Bethlehem was born, the Son of God by name. We also sing, God with man is now residing, suddenly the Lord descending. And also, Thou didst leave thy throne and thy kingly crown when thou camest to earth for me. And so, friends, the writers of all of the Christmas carols mark out for us the reality that this child born in that cradle is God. Please reflect on these truths as you sing these carols this Christmas time. As always, this is Senior Pastor Emeritus Alan Lee saying, Sila, think unact on these things
3: the great commander's promise he will surely come and I'm